it's really important if you're going to sell something and convert it to cash or convert it to something else that you consult with a tax professional, right. CPA or a tax attorney, and be very careful about what you're doing there because you could inadvertently trigger higher taxes. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is the second hour of the Personal Wealth Coach on this June 5th, 2021. We have begun June in Texas, which I'm going to make a prediction. Uh, my prediction is that uh, things are going to start heating up around here that uh, things are, are start, I, I would actually even say hot. It's going to get hot over the next several months. I know I'm going out on a limb making this prediction, but, uh, you know, I, I'm going to take the easy ones where I can get them and the hard ones where I can get them. So just just wait and see. See, see if I'm right. See if uh, it doesn't get hot around here for the next couple of months. What do you think? What's your thought on that? I think there's a high probability, although I will say that normally at the beginning of June, we have warmer weather than we're having right now. That's true. But we're having a very wet spring. And as summer begins, I suspect that it will get hot. And drier. And dry. So that is my prediction for the day, folks. Please but hold me not, to it. Not certain. a high probability. Past performance is no guarantee of future summers. That is, that's true. It is. It's. Please read the perspective carefully before putting on your sunscreen. Right. Uh, so this is the personal wealth coach. We are quite tongue in cheek. Sometimes so much that we bite our tongue while chewing. So if we start slurring our speech, that is likely the reason. This is Jake McClure, and on the line with me, I have Jeff McClure. Uh, and we are going to do our best to uh, debefuddle. Is it unfuddle the 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 market, the economy? Uh, and we have a question. It was only sent to me, though. You, you weren't included, so this one's mine. <laughs> this is from Marty. Will the dollar go away and and all my savings be gone? Uh, how do you protect the dollar? Land value could be taxed out of existence. Okay. So this seems a bit extreme. And I think a lot of people would look at that and say, no, the dollar's not going to go away. No, the there are times in history where this has happened. Not with the dollar, but yeah, with the dollar too. We've had times in the history of the United States where the dollar became absolutely worthless. Uh, this took place multiple periods. So run one when the it was the uh, the Continental Congress had established its first dollar, and did people still say not worth a continental dollar? Which kind of throws me for a loop because I don't know anybody that actually used one. But we also had a similar situation take place in the 1830s, uh, the Great Depression of 1837 caused our dollars to be pretty much worthless if it wasn't backed by something that the international community valued. Um, and there's all kinds of history behind that. So before we say, hey, this is never going to happen, 
let's let's go to actually the question here. How do you protect the dollar? Uh, the Federal Reserve, that's its mandate. That is the congressional mandate in the Federal Reserve Act. It is the primary purpose of this organization of private banks that has a quasi-governmental uh, existence. The president nominates the top members of the Federal Reserve Board, and those members then have to be approved by the Senate. So what is it that they do? You, you were just talking at the end of of last hour about the Federal Reserve monetizing debt and and so on. The Federal Reserve, when it raises and lowers interest rates, it makes money more expensive or less expensive. The more expensive money is, the more it will buy. Uh, the less expensive money is, the less it will buy. That's inflation and deflation and reverse order there. So if money is less expensive and you can have more of it, that's inflation. If money's more expensive and you have less of it, but it buys more, that's deflation. The Federal Reserve's job is to try to soak up excess money out of the economy that would cause inflation and to pump money in when we're in a deflationary scenario. And we've been in deflationary scenarios and inflationary scenarios in the last 10 years. So they've done their job fairly well in that we haven't had runaway inflation and we haven't had runaway deflation. We're having some weirdness. Uh, and the, the last piece on here about land value being taxed out of existence, this is another case where there's lots of times in history where this has been the case, where taxes went up so high that it was impossible to actually own land unless you were the government. Uh, it's happened in lots of countries, including the United States, although it hasn't been a case in the United States for quite a long, long time. Texas is one of the least likely places for it to happen. Texas has one of the best in individual property rights set of laws out of any state in the union, and the United States has better individual property rights than almost any other country on the planet. So... It's good that we stay nervous around the concept that because taxes go up. And if you've looked at your, if you own any property and you've looked at your appraisal at the county, it doesn't matter if you're in Florida or Texas or Nevada or Connecticut, the values have gone up drastically. Uh, and part of that is just look around. If you are trying to sell a house, you'll find that values have gone up drastically. One of the problems with property taxes, ad valorem taxes, is that you're not selling anything or creating anything that produces money that allows you to pay the tax bill. That's always a danger in valuing something that hasn't been sold and then charging a tax on it. Because if, you, if the only way to pay the tax on your property is to sell the property, then you're in a, a real problem. And we have that as a problem still today. It's not a huge problem. It's not something that a lot of people face. But when you do have that problem, it's big. Presuming that the Biden tax law goes through, as, as has been proposed, which is a big presumption, it could create a problem for capital gains because traditionally, no matter how much property you had, no matter how much wealth you had, at your death, assuming you're not passing it to your wife, we're just talking about a single person dying and passing it to their heirs, 
or passing it to the husband. Let me let me rephrase that. Not yeah. passing it to a spouse. There you go. The capital gains tax is forgiven on the property that you have and the basis of the property, the purchase price of the property, in essence, jumps to whatever the value was at your death. One of the proposals that uh, President Biden has put before Congress, and I think it's going to get modified, is that if you have more than a million dollars in gains, then that then it you get you get a million dollar exemption. Anything above a million dollars in gains gets taxed at the capital gain. Well, actually, at the, it was at the capital gains rate or the regular rate. The capital gains rate's going up to the thirty nine point six percent. Yeah, but that's it, a proposal. It, it gets taxed. It, yeah, I'm talking about well. It does get taxed at your death, right? It, the capture, in other words, the capital gains are captured at your death. Now, there's a there's a series there's a of changes of- there as well. The estate tax rules are also being thrown out in there. Um, basically, the idea in this plan is that if you have more than a million dollars in gains, this is not written anywhere just as a side note there's no actual official version of what the bill's supposed to be this is just the leaks and the rumors and the, this is what they're negotiating the biden concept is that if you have more than a million dollars in gains at the death then that's going to get taxed as well so well the capital gains capital gains tax is a completely different thing from the estate tax it's 11.7 million and he hasn't proposed to reduce per person right. so a husband and wife could actually 23 billion dollars million it'd be nice if it were billion but no it's it's well i don't know it'd be nice but it can shelter up to 23 million so capital so the estate tax is no longer a problem the issue is that that doesn't apply to 401ks by the way right doesn't apply to deferred anything that you have is a deferred tax vehicle such as variable annuity or annuity or 401k they get but they have to be paid out over a 10-year period there's even confusion on that. The IRS has come out with some very conflicting ed- regulations, like basically saying the regulation that we just quoted is wrong, even though they're not quoting that regulation. So it's no, very confusing. The, the CPAs are the very con- concerned. Gonna, the IRS is going to correct that. They basically said you still have to make your required minimum distributions, even though the the law doesn't say anything about required minimum distributions. I think the IRS will correct that at some point. It was they, in their they, guidance. They did correct it, but they corrected it this week or at the beginning of the end of last week. They corrected the guidance by making it even more confusing. So both sets of guidance were typo ridden and making references to the wrong portions of the law. And, and so if you really wish to set off a, a nerd hornet's nest, go to a group of CPAs and mention RMDs on beneficiary IRAs. And, uh, and I say that with a great deal of, of uh, compliment, by the way. We consider ourselves to be nerds, uh, of very high-level nerds. Uh, so a group of CPAs, just go say beneficiary IRA and then get your earplugs ready because... The confusion level right now on this subject is just right through the roof. And that's, that, that's with a law that's actually been passed that we actually have verbiage in written form. So when we're talking about new capital gain stuff, we're talking about uh, new changes to anything. Don't get, don't get ahead. We'll, we'll have plenty of time to be upset. Don't worry. 
don't get upset about the rumors. Wait till it's written down. Then we can all get upset together. What I want to see is, and since the the Trump tax reduction 2017. Yeah, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. There's no proposal to revoke it. Uh, the President Biden, in his negotiation this week with in, on the infrastructure bill, said that he would leave it alone. He would leave alone the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act if they would continue negotiations. One of the nice things that he decided to leave alone, if you haven't known a small business as we do, is you get a 20% tax treatment for if you have a closely held small business. A, a 20% deduction on the income that you make as pass-through income, yeah. right? Pass-through yeah, income. Yeah, where it comes from the business to, to the owner. So that's very helpful. It's interesting that what's the interesting thing about all the Biden tax proposals, by the way, is how little the changes are. If you don't have more than a million dollars in gains somewhere, either in land or in property or in uh, in in your stock accounts that are not tax deferred like a 401k or something, then it has very little effect on you. Now, if you make more than four, if you as an individual make more than $400,000, yeah, your rates are going to go up. But the funny thing is, the strange thing is, I don't care who was elected president at this point, given the amount of debt we've accumulated bursting ourselves out of this uh, recession, I think it's pretty clear that the taxes had to go up. We've been saying that for a year. I've actually been saying it for two years, but it's it's true. The taxes will have to go up. And as a matter of fact, the actual tax, the, the, the Tax Reform and Job Act, pumps the taxes back up to where they were if nothing changes in 2025 anyway. So taxes are going to go up. One of the things you can probably depend on, just like there's no certainty it's going to get hot this summer, but there's a very high probability. There's no certainty that taxes are going to be higher in the future than they are today, but there's certainly a very high probability. We spent a lot of money. By the way, while we're at it, if I could go on. Absolutely. There, there is, there's a parallel in history. I've seen several articles that said we've never seen a recovery like this one. Actually, we have. It's just been a long just, time. Just that there's nobody around who's professionally advising on money, who was professionally advising on investments back then. And that is following World War II. At the end of World War II, we had a brief but short, a short but relatively severe recession, not, like, not unlike the one we have seen as the pandemic caused. And the government real had, had figured out, the, the Congress and the, everybody else had figured out that we didn't want to repeat the Great Depression, which was at least partially caused by the monetary policy following World War I. And so they pumped money into the economy. They, the GI Bill... I mean, they basically loaned money to anybody who wanted to borrow money, just about small business loans. A lot of things came into effect following World War II to pump the economy up and pump it full of money. We had a short burst of inflation, a tremendous run-up in the stock market, and then the inflation just faded away with the stimulus. Let me throw one other thing is, taxes went up to pay off the war debt. Right. And I think we'll see that happen this time, too. So, one of, and to give further parallel because we can say how is this anything like that well it's the only other time and again we don't have numbers from this era this is not something we were not tracking unemployment numbers at this point there's there's studies that have gone back that have tried to estimate but it's hard enough to do it in real time it's, it's extremely hard to do to track how many people have jobs 
But what we can say with a great deal of confidence is that a lot of people, a lot of people in the United States lost their jobs right after World War II. How can I say that? Because we militarized. We had the war effort going in large amount. We had a, a large percentage of our population was involved in the war effort. What happens when the war's done? Well, you have unemployment. You have a lot of it. A lot of people left the military. They weren't laid off. You don't get laid off from the military. You get discharged. You get discharged. So how do you count that as far as layoff numbers? You've been discharged honorably. You did good service. Now you're coming back. You have the GI Bill. Some people went to school. Now they're not in the economy. You got a lot of people coming home. There's a demand for stuff that there wasn't a supply for. Sound familiar? People were looking around trying to figure out what job they were going to do. Uh, demand's going through the roof. Not enough people are working, but everybody's out of work. So there's not enough people to fill all the jobs, but unemployment is really high. This is, this is a parallel that we're looking at. Uh, and you had something to add here? Yeah, the number of new businesses that are being created right now parallels that following World War II. That's right. A lot of the a lot of the guys coming back off the GI Bill and they had money left over from their from their pay they hadn't spent. They decided to start a small business, and that's happening right now too. We also had, and this is again, as Jake said, it's hard to track these numbers precisely. We also had a short-term labor shortage, and, and you it, can see that in newspapers. Yeah, when you're looking at newspapers for the time period, the help wanted and the confusion about how people, there are so many people complaining about being out of work, but but I've been trying to hire people for the last three months. Uh, those stories are in those newspapers, and they're worth looking back at. They're worth reading. It's fascinating stuff because it's the same headlines that we're seeing today. The good news is, and it's really good news, is the inflation went away by the 1950s. You recall the war ended in 1946, so the we actually had a recession in 1949, but as we went into the 1950s, the inflation faded away. The economy went on a boom, and we went into the post-World War II economic boom. And we paid back and a lot of the government debt. But taxes went up to the 90% bracket. For some people, high-income high people paid a lot of taxes. Well, actually, they didn't pay that many taxes because there were a lot of loopholes. Right. Very Nobody similar to paying. today's taxes. Nobody was, nobody was paying, actually, 90% taxes. They had a high tax rate. And the CPAs across the country are making a good living. One, one of the things that I can look at, this is something I studied for a long time. This period, uh, because it has that 90% tax bracket, the effective tax rate was still about 21%. And it, it had been for a period about 18%, which we saw the debt going up, the spending was going up, and we were hanging around about 18%. We're about a 20% effective tax bracket rate right now. And it's not enough to pay for what we're spending on. The long-term average in the United States is about 23% effectively for everybody. We've got some room to move up. And as long as we're talking about a 2% differential, this is not going to break anybody's bank. Uh, and I mean, not unless they're just I don't. I don't know. I guess it, it, there are some people that could break the bank. There's there's no foolproof statement that can be made about it. anybody can go broke at any point. It does require some planning, though. If you're going to sell a small business, or you, let's say you have a store and you're going to sell it, or you have a ranch or farm and you're going to sell it, 
you do need to have a strategy now so that you don't capture all that income in one year. That's important because you can right. have you can be relatively low income, below four hundred thousand even. That's not considered income. low income by most people. Well, for tax purposes, the taxes go up above four hundred thousand. But the fact that you sell a big piece of property or a big a lot of stock that you inherited or something in a short period of time can throw you into the very highest tax bracket suddenly and be very, very damaging to you. It's really important if you're going to sell something and convert it to cash or convert it to something else that you consult with a tax professional, right. CPA or a tax attorney, and be very careful about what you're doing there because you could inadvertently trigger higher taxes. And the interesting thing about this is the budget proposal presumes that this that the that the taxes tax changes that finally get enacted which will be sometime this year are retroactive back to at least april yeah so there's not a way to get out of this the, the, there's a lot of folks that are saying hey let's not make it retroactive but it's out of our hands uh and we don't know what the final event's going to be what you, what you were just saying there's strategies that you can use and this is this is one we've mentioned this on the air before it's one that you can use even if the tax law doesn't change if you're selling your business or your farm or a house that's worth a lot more than the $500,000 limit on capital gains number if you can do this in a way that spreads the sale out over multiple years you should do it it's true today it's been true for decades uh, because there's an arbitrary number in the calendar called January 1. Uh, and this is, this is an example I've used quite a lot to show that there's problems with the tax code. If you're a business uh, or you own a business and you're saving for a large purchase and it's going to take multiple years of savings to get that large purchase if you don't want to go into debt and you've almost got enough money You'll get enough money for it next month at this time, but the next month is in January. Well, you've still got to pay taxes on all the gains, and I'm use air quotes, the bunny quotes are coming in around this, on the gains that you have. You've been saving up for this thing. You haven't reinvested it into the business, so it's considered a gain. Well, you get taxed on that. Even though next month you're going to spend it, on something that would make it not a gain. It would be a reinvestment. There's an arbitrary day that just pops up and says, hey, now you owe taxes on that. If you paid the check tomorrow uh, to buy the thing, it's going to cost you $30,000 more than if you did it today. And th that's, that's an inefficiency in our system, but it's been there since we've had an income tax. We measure that stuff starting in a calendar year. So don't just assume every day is like every other day. If you can spread out two checks to get one in one day and one the next day through an escrow settlement or something, you can lower your tax bill, significantly lower your tax bill. And I'm going to hand it back to you for a minute. Well, it basically boils down to the fact if you have a relatively high dollar net worth and you're not you're not going to leave it exactly as it is it's probably a good idea to talk to a professional and by a professional i don't mean your local tax preparer although they do a good job of preparing taxes somebody who's certified a certified public accountant who is a fiduciary or a tax attorney now if you don't happen to be one of those people 
Well, God bless you. You're like the rest of us. And you just get by with what you can do. The tax changes seem to affect people who are multimillionaires. And I say multimillionaires because if you have, let's say you had $2 million in, in your investment accounts outside of IRAs, then uh, if you have a if you have a million dollars in gain in there, you're exceptional. That's that's you're you're up there. You're up in the upper one to two percent of the nation. So if you've got that problem, you can afford to talk to a professional, and you should talk to a professional. If you don't have that problem, you really don't have a problem with the new tax bill, uh, the new tax proposal. It's not a bill yet. Yeah, and and that's the a lot of this is firmly still in negotiation. We've got an education bill, an infrastructure bill, and a tax bill. So the tax bill is how we pay for our existing budget and these new things. And that's what's being negotiated now. There's a there's a lot of confusion on the subject because there's nothing final yet. There's another thing that probably didn't make the local paper, but if you take the Wall Street Journal or something, it's headlines. And that is there's been an agreement on international taxing. In other words, right now, for example, Ireland has very, very low taxes on corporations. So corporations move their profits to Ireland. So they can do on paper. So they pay very little corporate income tax. And having a universal 15% minimum tax is major. Now, why 15% minimum tax? Corporations... For instance, by buying money-losing companies, which they can pay a pittance for because the company's lost a lot of money over the years, but that company has accumulated a lot of losses they can carry forward on their taxes. So by buying those companies, they can capture those losses, make them part of their own corporation and avoid paying taxes even though they have plenty of profit in the corporation. Uh, that's about to go out the window to some degree because the 15% minimum tax, basically if a corporation carries it on its books and says to its investors, we had uh, whatever our income was, or, or not our income, but whatever our profit was for the year, they have to pay 15% of that to the government, minimum. Now, obviously, if they made a big profit and they don't have a lot of tax credits to carry forward, they, have, they may pay it more than that. But that's the big thing is the G7 nations, and I suspect they will put pressure on the ones that aren't in the G7, have all agreed that they're going to tax at the same rate, the same minimum rate, which makes it a level playing field. Right now, it's not a level playing field. Some places tax more, some people tax, some places tax less. We're in the more column. So a lot of money gets moved, a lot of profits get moved on paper outside the United States for the purpose of avoiding taxes and there's been a major step in the right direction yeah towards avoiding towards eliminating that problem and and i i would actually like to expound on this i know this sounds really dry on the surface where you're talking about uh, the g7 universal have crossed the board we're making tax agreement that says we're not going to charge less than 15 percent. what does that have to do with anything why are you going to expound on this let me give you some examples uh, the, the laws in the United States and in Europe and in places all over the globe have been changing lately, lately being in the last decade. Uh, in Europe, there's something called GDPR. It's a privacy law that uh, if you're watching the news on Facebook and Google and them being sued in European courts over GDPR, it has to do with where they're housing the data for their 
for their customers. And so Facebook's housing its data on a server somewhere. And the whole idea of the cloud is it's everywhere, right? You, you, if one goes down, you've got the others other places. Well, GDPR in Europe says you're not allowed to hold that data outside of Europe, physically outside of Europe, which doesn't coincide very well with how the internet works. So if you have a friend in Europe who is a Facebook friend of yours and you have the ability to access their Facebook page, which you should, Facebook's in violation of GDPR now because that data is now being stored in the United States on your computer as well. So there's a there's this nasty tangled mess and that's not even getting into other things like if you're an American living overseas, you have a bank, hopefully, you're making money hopefully overseas and somebody's paying you and that money goes into a bank. But because you're an American citizen, a lot of banks in other countries won't take you as a customer. In well-known countries, this is not a, this is not a, a, only in Argentina you can't get a bank. No, it's in almost every country on the planet it is extremely hard for an American living abroad to get a bank account because as soon as they have one American customer, the entirety of their customer relationship with all of their customers is available for the IRS's perusal. And if they don't allow the IRS to do it, they're not allowed to do business in the United States, which is where the majority of the money markets are. So when I say the money markets, that's how money gets moved around uh, it used to be in London, and with with the Brexit, we're now, or with the Brexit, we're now Manhattan is again, or for the first time, the financial capital of the world. Money moving through the United States is normal, even if you're a European bank. If you have an American customer, you get limited on how you do that, unless you just want to open up all your books to the IRS. So. GDPR is an issue. The IRS has issues. We've got American tax laws that reach out into foreign countries. And then right in the middle of this, if you have investments, if you're investing and you live in France or in Italy or in Australia, you've got tax law overlaps that are just absolutely absurd. If you have investments because you're an American in the United States, at the same time that you have investments in Australia or, say, France. The fact that you're now living in Europe, if you're in France, means that you're subject to GDPR, which means that you can't house your investment information for this person in the United States, but the SEC says you're not allowed to house it anywhere else. So you can see that there's a convoluted mess as far as tax laws go, as far as privacy laws go, and we have been moving farther and farther and farther apart for the last probably 15 years across across the globe. It's been getting a smaller world, but much, much, much more complicated. This is the first step in simplifying that. 
the reason why these tax laws are so aggressive against each other is because the countries involved aren't agreeing the way they used to on how taxes work. So uh, if you'd like to talk to us off the air, if you'd want to get our information, uh, you can call locally. There's voicemail on the weekend, real live people during the week. 254-947-1111. Or you can call that same line toll-free, 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can listen to uh, podcasts and re- recordings of our program going back lots of time. Sign up for our newsletter. Read our newsletter. You can contact us through the contact form or our phone numbers are on there as well. And you can email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.